Hey church, uh, I'm Pastor Ryan, the lead pastor of Generation Church. If you're a guest, I want to say welcome. I know we have guests coming all throughout the summer and to our church family, love you and I miss you. I am away right now with my family for a time of sabbatical. We are just resting and recharging. This is our ninth year as the lead pastors of Generation Church. So we are dreaming about what God has for us and getting ready for this next season, which is going to be incredible. I hope you are surviving the summer heat. And for those of us who are Christians, I'm really grateful that Arizona is the closest we will ever get to hell. Amen. Praise God. I want to say hello to everyone in Mesa, South Mountain, Fountain Hills, and online. Uh, while I'm away, I am bringing some awesome Bible teachers and preachers in to bless you with the Word of God. They are friends of the house, and I know they care about you and been praying for you. Today, we have a Phoenix native, Pastor Eric from the Bridge Church on the other side of the valley. Uh, he has started an awesome church over there as a church planter. And God is doing something incredible in his church. I'm telling you, they've been growing in amazing ways. He has an amazing story of how God has worked in his life. And so meeting him through a mutual friend last year and connecting, I, I just felt in my heart like he wants to use Pastor Eric to bring a word today that would be a blessing to you. So I want to ask you, open your hearts to receive the word of the Lord like we always do. And get ready and welcome Pastor Eric, who's going to be bringing a great word. Let's welcome him to the stage. All right, 4.30, y'all ready to bring it home today? It's been a good day at church. Hey, I want to say something real quick, because I didn't know what this would be like until I experienced it today. Now, doing two morning services, I'm talking about every leader, every worship team member, every kids worker, hospitality, greeters, ushers, security, all of y'all that were here when Jesus woke up this morning, and you did two services, you went, you ate a meal, you fought from falling asleep, like, no, I can't fall asleep because if I fall asleep, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to come to church and I'm going to cuss people out and I'm supposed to be talking about Jesus. Like, all y'all people, can we just give them a round of applause that they do this every week? Man, at 3.30, I was struggling. Man, I was ready to take a nap. But I'm glad I'm here in the house of God. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Ryan and Amy, and I'll say this. Maybe you don't know, but in the last two years, 95% of churches in America are in decline or are just now getting back to their pre-COVID numbers. And so what God is doing here is the top 5% in the entire country. Can you clap for what God is doing? And you are blessed with bold, godly leaders. And I am so thankful to just be able to spend a few moments with you today. I want to introduce my family to you. They were here this morning for our two services. Uh, this is my wife, Megan, and this is my son. Who wants to guess his name? Come on. 
Samson, I knew someone would guess it. His name is Samson. He looks just like a Samson should. And so he turns six years old in a month. And uh, man, God has been so good to me and blessed me. And so over the course of the last several years, I have literally thought so many times when I think about what God has done, what God is doing, what God has planned to do, that my life sometimes, it kind of feels like a movie. I don't know about you, you ever look and you think about what's happening in your life, you're like, dude, this would make a great movie. I've always thought that about my life. And I don't know what your movie would be. Maybe it'd be like Gladiator or Terminator or one of them bad movies, or maybe it's something you know, super soft and simple like Anne of Green Gables. I, I don't know what your movie would be, but life sometimes is so unpredictable in the way that things happen the timing in which it happens and you don't really know god why did you allow this god why did you do this and so today i want to talk for a moment about three distinct seasons in every person's life we all share these seasons no matter where you're from or how long you've been in church we share these seasons and it's much like a movie there's three parts to every movie there's the opening where the characters are introduced and you get to know them a little bit then the plot comes and the plot reveals some changes that are taking place and some choices that need to be made and then the conclusion. The conclusion is the choices that were made and the outcome of those choices. And each of us in this room, I'm gonna make this spiritual for a moment. We've experienced these three distinct chapters or we soon will, depending on where you are in faith. There's three chapters, three seasons in the life of every person who has ever lived. Here are the three seasons. The first season that we all start in, every one of us, we start in the same place. It's BC, before Christ. All of us, and, and I'll just give this to you. Husbands, if you're acting crazy or doing something foolish, just look to your wife and be like, that was BC me, I'm sorry, I repent, uh, forgive me. Before Christ, we all start in this place. Whether you got saved at five or 85, we live a life for a time before Christ, when we're alienated, we're orphans, we are far off and distant from the family of God. I started there, you started there, BC. Then the next stage of life is salvation. Woo, come on somebody. The greatest day of your life, salvation. And this is where Jesus plucks you out of hell and says, I want you. And he saves us and redeems us and restores us and changes us so that he can use us. That's salvation. But then there's the third season because God never meant for you to stay in salvation. Guess what? Hebrews defines that as childlike infant faith. When you believe and you're saved and I'm going to heaven, but I don't do anything with the rest of my life. Jesus, I don't use the gifts you gave me. I'm not being sent to do anything for the kingdom, I'm satisfied and content in my salvation. I hope that's not you, but statistically, the church is full of people that are infants and babies in their faith. They don't know how to do something else after salvation. So that brings us into the third stage, which is AD, after death. BC is before Christ. Salvation is the day where everything changes. And then AD is after death. After death to what? After death to yourself. 
Jesus already died an all-sufficient death so that you and I could be redeemed and made whole. And so we're the ones that have to die to ourselves. How often? Daily. Daily. That's the life of a believer after salvation. If God's intention was just to save you and then send you straight to heaven, he would have done it. But instead, he saves us and then gives us years on the earth. For what? So we could grow to be more like Christ so that those who don't know him could. And so these are the three seasons. And so I'm going to talk through these three seasons today. And it's kind of like a movie. And just for fun, for a moment, I want to share a couple of my favorite movies. So you can celebrate with me. And then you can boo me. I know they're both coming. It's going to be a simultaneous thing. So I don't know what your favorite movies are, but some of my favorite movies, I love Rudy. Come on, somebody. An underdog story. I just introduced my family to Rudy not long ago. I don't think my wife was truly saved until she watched Rudy. It changed everything in our home. Back to the future. Number one and two. Number three is garbage. But number one and two, two of my favorites of all time. Willy Wonka. The OG one, not that Johnny Depp mess. I don't know what that was. That was not Willy Wonka. Gene Wilder, Charlie Bucket, Willy Wonka. Now, some of y'all real religious folk, you're going to have a problem with this one. One of my favorite movies of all time is Training Day with Denzel. All right, there's some language. Watch the edited version, but great movie. So some movies that I have never seen. You ready to boo? Some of y'all are going to hate me. But if I can get you to not like me, you'll probably listen more. So, a few movies I have never seen. I have never seen a Harry Potter in my life. And some of the Christian parents, those are all the Christian parents. They're like, well, good, you shouldn't have, you demon worshiper, right? Well, don't judge me. I haven't seen it. Judge all the other people. Lord of the Rings, never seen it. Never seen it. I don't know what y'all are talking about when you talk about these characters. I nod my head and I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know what you're talking about. Last one, Star Wars. Never seen it. And watch this, I ain't never gonna. I'm never gonna see it. The force can be with you, I'm good. I don't need it. But every movie, there's an intro, there's a plot. And there's a conclusion, and that's why we're drawn to movies and books and shows, because we want to see what happens. How do people respond when something new comes and happens? And so today, we're going to talk about that person in here, that, that today, you're BC. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. I am so glad you're here today. Can I say that? I am so happy. However you showed up to church today, I'm glad you're here because today can be the day where salvation comes, where everything changes. If you're in Christ, but you feel stuck, God, I don't know what to do next. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to be useful, but I don't know what to do. I hope today is helpful for you. And for the person that's here today, I believe in Jesus and I know I have a story to tell. My message title today and what I hope you leave here knowing is you have a story to tell. Would you look to your best looking neighbor and tell him you have a story to tell? <laughs> hey, 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 I might have got somebody a date over here. I saw you. You didn't look to your neighbor, you looked down the aisle. You said, oh girl, I've been waiting to tell you how I'm gonna be a part of your story, right? You got a story to tell, and it's me. 
But the truth is, is that when we are saved, yeah, it's for us, but it's also for a world that is dying and destined for hell without the good news of Jesus. You have a story to tell. So we're going to start in the first chapter, the chapter we all started in, which is B.C., before Christ. So today we're going to read in Acts 22, and we're going to read about the account of Paul. You will also hear him referenced in this text as Saul. It's the same person. Paul was his given Jewish name. I'm sorry, Saul was his given Jewish name. Later, once he is radically changed, saved, and sent to the Gentiles by choice, he changes his name to Paul, which is a Gentile name, so he could be a more effective missionary. That's who we're talking about. Saul and Paul, same person. Acts 22, if you got your Bible, say amen. Let's go. Some of y'all are gonna be looking at the screen. Like, amen. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the cities, introducing who he is and where he came from. I studied under Gamaliel. This is the greatest Jewish teacher of their time. He, he didn't take many students, and Paul was one of them. This was a huge honor in Jewish culture and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. He's talking to a bunch of religious folk who grew up in the system of Judaism. But when Jesus came, he changed everything. But he's looking to his audience and saying, I was just as zealous for God as each of you. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Who's talking about followers of Jesus? I killed them arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Luke is giving an account of what Saul's life was before Christ. Now, the details would change if you were sharing your story, but the heart condition would be the same. By his own admission, Paul said, I am an enemy of the cross. I am dead in my sin. Although he was around the things of God all the time, he was dead in his sin. Why? Because he didn't know Jesus personally. He knew a lot about God, but he didn't know God. And I wonder if that would define some of the people in this room tonight. This isn't to shame you. This is a wake-up call. Man, I know a lot about God. My church attendance is pretty good. I serve, I give. But do you know Jesus personally? Has he forever transformed and changed you? You see, before Christ, Saul had a ton of knowledge here, but he didn't know Jesus here. And until that moment came, he was still dead in his sin. He was a legalistic religious leader who persecuted and killed Christians. So the question is, do you think this is who God created Saul to be? No, no. This isn't who Paul is, it's who he was. You need to know something. If you're in Christ today and you know him as Lord, when you think about your past, that's who you were, not who you are. That's the sin that you used to be, but have been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus out of. But Saul is remembering where he came from. 
And this is that whole pattern of David praying, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, remind me of what you did. Remind me of what you brought me out of. And so if you're in Christ today, don't ever forget what God brought you out of. If today this sounds a little bit like you. Again, the circumstances change, but the heart is the same. I don't know Jesus personally. Is there good news? Well, it's coming. We gotta turn the page to chapter two. But as we work through this today, I'm gonna stop in each section. I wanna share a little bit about what God has done in my heart. And so my BC years, they started literally in my first breath. I was born three months premature at 28 weeks. There was no viability to my life. I was expected to be uh, very small if I survived at all. I was a crack baby. My mom was heavily addicted to drugs her entire pregnancy with me. And so when I was born, I was born uh, in an incubator. I spent most of my first year in ICU on an incubator, never expected to live. But God thought better. So I was able to get out of this hospital, but my dad was in an extremely dysfunctional relationship. Well, how dysfunctional? He was almost killed twice by my mom by stab wounds to the sides. He has massive scars on his side where he was stabbed with steak knives. And I, always, I asked my dad, why didn't you prosecute? And he said, well, because I wanted you to have a mom. And I never understood. So she tried to kill him multiple times. My dad was able to get full custody of us in Texas in the 80s, which is like unheard of. And so he separates from my mom. And when I was three years old, my mom sent some guys over to my dad's house while he was at work and we were with the babysitter in a U-Haul so no one would know and kidnapped my brother and I. We made Houston news. We were all over the newspapers. For over a week, we were kidnapped and missing. This was my mom. This is how we grew up. And so my dad knew that our life was dysfunctional and as a loving father, he said, I want my kids to have better. And so he was looking for the perfect woman to come and be a mother to his two sons. And so he found the perfect woman, so it seemed. She was a school teacher and a pastor's daughter. Come on, like if you're looking for someone to like be a mom, that's kind of what you're looking for. And she was great. I loved her deeply. I called her mom. She was my mom. And we spent several years as a family. And on Thanksgiving night when I was 10 years old, she tells my dad, she didn't even tell us as kids that she's leaving. And this, this literally was an atomic bomb in my life because I didn't even know there were problems. And the problem wasn't necessarily with her marriage. It was with the fact that my dad couldn't have kids because at 23 years old, he was given, or he had terminal cancer and was given a few weeks to live and God miraculously saved his life, but he couldn't have kids. She knew that going into the marriage. And so this woman that I looked to as my mother basically looked me in the eye and said, you're not my son. I wanna have my own children. And she walked away from our family. And I didn't know what to do with that. Like, I, am I supposed to cry? Am I supposed to be angry? Am I supposed to be mad? Am I supposed to go to a therapist? I don't know, at 10 years old, I have no structure of Jesus in my life. I don't know how to deal with all this pain and hurt. And so what I did is I started to get around people who were as hurt as I was in, in middle school, young in middle school. I was smoking, I was drinking. I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff behind my dad's back. And so my dad thought the solution was just to keep moving me to a different school. And every year he'd just move me to a different school district because if I change the location, I'll fix the problem. 
Well, the problem was deep inside my heart. There was a sin issue that was happening that had taken hold of my heart. And so this didn't fix it. So my freshman year of high school, my dad now finds another woman who he's, who he's going to marry. And so for the third time, at 14 years old, my dad marries. Now this woman, I will say, was a godly woman. She introduced our family who had barely gone to a Lutheran church a couple times. She introduced us to the Pentecostal church. And she brought us into this church. And y'all may think you, you know Pentecostal church, but until you've been in a four and a half hour service and you took a break for lunch and you got shofars blowing and you got interpretations on top of interpretations and interpretations happening for the interpretation, you don't know what Pentecostal church is. And so I was in this kind of church and I sat in the back and I'm I'm like my lord in heaven what is happening up in here but I saw the power of God moving over and over and I watched it I saw it but I didn't believe it yet but those planted seeds later in life they would come to harvest I got hooked on drugs early in high school and I would deal with this addiction until right up until my 21st birthday I couldn't go a day. I couldn't go multiple times a day without using. And I did my best to hide this. And I remember at 16 years old, I was sitting at a McDonald's. And I was sitting across the table from my brother and my dad was ordering food. And while we were sitting there, again, mind you, I've been in church for a couple years now. I sat in the seat you're sitting to. I heard what they were saying, but I didn't care much about it because I thought I was invincible. I'll do this later in life. When I have kids, when I'm a grandparent, like when life gets easy, then maybe I'll take God seriously. And I'm sitting there with my brother, and we had just both done some pretty horrific things. And we had told each other, and we were kind of like sharing like bros, but we actually were like really like afraid of what we just did. Like it was that bad. And I remember we had this conversation and we both looked at each other and said, do you think if we were to die tonight, we would go to heaven or hell? At 16 years old, I'm looking at my brother and at the same exact moment, both of us answered and said, we would go to hell. And this was a startling moment for me because even in this place at 16 years old, having dealt with all of these crazy life circumstances, I knew that I was dead in my sin. What I didn't know is that 10 minutes later, as we were driving down an old country road, a drunk driver would blow a stop sign, hit our car, and we'd go flipping into a field and nearly kill our entire family. Spent multiple weeks in the hospital. I had a significant head injury. My brother broke his back. It was a horrible car accident. 10 minutes earlier, by our own profession, we would have both been eternally separated from God. And so... Although the next church service I went to, I didn't, I didn't come into saving faith then. It, it did something in my heart to start thinking about, God, is this, is this real, heaven and hell? Knowing you, is this real? Can I really know you personally? At 18 years old, I was kicked out of my house. And my dad said, I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do. Get out. And living in Wisconsin, I said, all right, Dad, you, you don't want to know me. You don't want me in your house. Fine, I'll go as far away from you as I can. I packed up my truck. I, I drove it across country with everything I had, and I ended up in Orlando, Florida. And I got a job, and for the first couple months, it was all right. I was surviving. 
Until the bills all started coming due and I had no way of paying them because my addiction had grown and I'd start using new and more expensive things and all of a sudden I have no phone, my car gets impounded and I get evicted from my apartment. I'm in a city that I don't know, no one to take care of me or look after me. I'm homeless at 18 years old. I'm estranged from my family, so the last thing I'm going to do is call my dad and ask for help. Now your BC may look a little different, but the condition is the same. This was me before I knew Jesus personally. And I'll tell you what, if he can redeem that kind of mess, he can redeem whatever you got going on. If God can turn my heart that was so hard towards God, if he can soften that kind of heart, I know he can do it today and I pray that he would. So maybe that's you, you're BC. Well, let's keep reading. Chapter two is the best day of your life, the day of salvation. If you've been saved, if you've been redeemed, if you've been bought and your sin is paid for, would you just praise God like it's something to be thankful for? Thank you, Jesus, that you have saved so many people in this room. The account of Saul coming into saving faith is in Acts 22, verse six. It says, about noon, Sounds like Saul remembers the exact time, because you can't mistake this moment. As I came near Damascus, he remembered where he was. I don't know about you, but I remember exactly where I was when God took a wretched sinner like me and put life in through salvation. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? All right, a couple things you need to know. Because you could breeze past this and not understand the significance of Jesus saying someone's name twice. Whenever Jesus in the gospel says someone's name twice, Peter, 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 Martha, Martha. Whenever he says it twice, this is a deep, endearing, graceful address. Now I get it with Peter and I get it with Martha, but Saul? You mean the first time Jesus meets the persecutor of his church, he comes at him with grace and compassion and love? That does not compute in my brain. If I'm Jesus, I'd be like, Saul, Saul, you're going to hell. Hope you like it. <laughs> no, for real, because what he had done, BC, it deserved hell. And what I've done before Christ deserves hell. I don't deserve the endearing, compassion, love of a father that says, Eric, Eric, I love you so much. Why do you persecute me? Why are you doing this? You don't know what you're doing. Why do you persecute me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? Like he, he knows in this moment, this ain't the bad pizza I ate last night. Like this is really Jesus. It's really happening. He's being confronted with his sin. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, let's stop for a moment. Do you know that when this suddenly moment happens for Saul, when he's on his way to kill and destroy those in Damascus who follow the way, which is Jesus, when Jesus interrupts him, it wasn't it wasn't that Saul just woke up that morning and was like, during his breakfast, like, you know what? Today's a good day to be redeemed. Today's a good day to be saved. Today is a good day to confess that I'm a wretched sinner in need of a savior and I cannot save myself. It didn't happen like that. The love of God sought him out. 
And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, guess what? If you feel a tugging and an urging in your spirit, that is the love of God inviting you. There's not one person in this room who came into saving faith because on their own they realized how much of a sinner they were. It was the love of God that drew you unto himself, that brought conviction, that led to repentance. That's how it happens. And it happened that way for Saul. The love of God saved him, eternally changed him. And how was it? Was it because he went to temple one more time? Is it because he recited the Torah one more time? Is it because he did one more sacrifice? None of those things were the reasons that he was forever changed and eternally saved. It was because he met Jesus personally. Personally. It, it wasn't someone else's faith, it was his faith. It wasn't what someone else experienced, it's what God showed him by his own. It was a personal experience. And so I'm gonna ask you a question. I need your help. You're going to raise your hand if you, if you have experienced either of these things. How many people in this room, you have witnessed a miracle in your life? Raise your hand. You've seen a miracle happen. Amen. That's awesome. Okay, this one's going to be a little trickier. How many people in this room, you have seen a dead person come to life, like raised from the dead? Raise your hand. You've seen someone raised from the dead. Oh, we got a problem. And here's the problem. There's some people in this room that have discounted the miraculous power of God raising a dead, lifeless soul and breathing the breath of God into it and making it alive. If you are saved in this room, you have witnessed the greatest miracle that God will ever do, which is raising the dead to life. That's you. That's you. You have witnessed someone that was dead and lifeless be made alive in Christ. And so when Jesus meets Saul face to face and they have this collision course of I'm a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus is that savior. When this all happens, it's amazing to me that Jesus knew exactly who Saul was when he met him. He's a persecutor, but he also knew exactly who God intended him to be, a missionary. And that's why Jesus approaches him with love and grace and mercy. And Saul does not get what he deserves. It's because Jesus knew what he intended him to be. And so, if you're here today and you say, man, I've had these moments. I felt the tugging of God. I've never responded. Today can be the day. The day where you respond and you let Jesus be Lord. Verse 9. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Let's just stop just real quick. Isn't it amazing how you can sit right next to someone in the exact same seat? You can hear the same thing. The spirit of God can be moving in the room in the exact same way, and you can be led into repentance or faith, and the other person can have a cold, hard heart towards the exact same thing. It's amazing. These people that came with Saul on mission to persecute they saw exactly what just happened, but they didn't understand it. Verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? I asked, what a great question. What shall I do? You've redeemed me, you saved me. What shall I do? Get up, the Lord said. That's kind of harsh. Like, dude just got knocked off his horse, blinding light, he can't see. Like, that's all right. Get up. You know why? Because there's an urgency in the kingdom. Because souls matter. Get up. 
and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Wait, you mean that Saul went to Damascus to kill, destroy, to persecute, to jail young men, women, and children, and now this is the same place that God is going to send him into with the good news of a resurrected Jesus? God didn't change his location, he changed his heart. And tomorrow, you may go to the same job with the same family, the same friends. God may not change your natural circumstance, but he will certainly change your heart. And guess what? When he sends you back into that same place, you go back with a completely different mission about why you're there. When he goes into Damascus this time, it's on mission from God. Same place, different hearts. But Jesus immediately gives Saul something to do right after conversion. But for Saul to say yes to this, it will take obedience and faith. He can't see, and he doesn't know why. And some of us, you're saying, man, I'm stuck in salvation. I got saved, and I'm going to heaven, but like, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, maybe the Spirit of God has been impressing you to change things, or to do things, or to step outside of yourself, and you've been resistant because you didn't know why or what would happen. This is where obedience and faith collide, after salvation. So Paul still got to get up and go. Verse 11, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus. It's amazing, he showed up on a horse and now he's being walked in with the help of the people he came with. Because the brilliance of the light had blinded me, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. In Paul's greatest time of need, God sent someone to help him. And here's what I want to tell the believer that feels stuck. The believer that feels like I'm not maturing, I'm not growing, I'm not deepening in my faith. I'm saved, but I don't know what to do. You need to pray for an Ananias. God, would you send somebody to help show me what to do? If you're older, you've been serving Jesus for a while, and you are not mentoring somebody, I want to tell you I'm a guest preacher. I don't have to come back next week. You are missing an opportunity to expand and grow disciples inside of the church. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and you're not, you're not pouring that into somebody, you're missing it. What an opportunity. God, would you give me an Ananias today, someone who will help me. So this is Paul's conversion. This is his moment of being radically saved. I'll share a few moments of my salvation story. So I'm 18 years old. I'm homeless. I'm a drug addict. I'm living in Orlando. I'm sitting outside of a restaurant one day. And this man walks up. And he starts to clean the windows right next to me. And he looks at me a couple times and it's kind of awkward. I'm like, dude, are you looking at me? What's up? You want to go? And I didn't know why he was kept looking at me. And then he asked me, he's like, hey, man, I, I don't want to be rude, but would you like to help me? I can pay you. And I was like, dude, I got nothing to do. I got nowhere to go. Give me a squeegee, right? Let me go. And he shows me how to clean a window and I start cleaning this window. And we do this whole restaurant, and at the end of it, he gives me 20 bucks. And he said, hey, man, I'm going to be right back over here again tomorrow. If you want to help me, you can help me. And I was like, all right, I'll help. And so we do this for a few days. And after a few days, he says, hey, I got some jobs that are way outside of this area. And so if you want, you can just, you know, ride with me. I'll pick you up. 
and we'll go do these jobs. I'll pay you cash. And I was like, absolutely, man. I got nothing to do, nowhere to go. And I got an addict that, or I got an addiction that I need money for. And so I went, I did this. And as we were driving around, he would always listen to Christian preachers. And it was kind of interesting because I was kind of a hostage in his car. I like, I couldn't turn his, I'm not going to touch another man's radio. He'll fight me. And so I'm just, I'm listening. I'm thinking about it. And as the weeks go on, I'm starting to contemplate some of the things I'm hearing. And God's starting to soften my heart. And one day, after he dropped me off at like the 300th different place, he says, hey man, uh, I feel like the Lord's calling me to ask you if you want to live with me. And I said, really? He said, it's not much. Don't get your hopes up. It'd be in my garage, on an air mattress, in Florida, in the summer with no AC. I can get you a small fan. And I'm like, you know, I don't think, yes, 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 yes. I'll do it. Sign me up. And so I moved into his garage, and every Saturday he would ask me, hey, you want to go to church with me tomorrow? And i say, nah, man, I'm busy. I'm going to be sweating in the garage. I got things to do, and uh, I can't. And so this happened for a couple months. And then after a couple months, he kind of put the full, full core press on me. He's like, yo, man, I'm giving you a place to stay, and tomorrow we're going to church. And I was like, all right, I'm going to church. And so, yeah, come on. Sometimes you got to drag somebody. And so I go to church. Now, at this time... I'm just gonna be honest, the only person I can think of is like James Franco in one of his druggy movies. That's what I look like. Long hair, dirty fingernails, just looking, looking like I got some real problems in my life. And so I'm scared to go to church because I'm like, these people are gonna judge me so hard. They, they're not gonna want me there. I, I'm, not, I'm not one of them good religious people. And so I go to church and I'm scared to death, not by what the preacher will say, but how people will treat me. And I sit through this whole service and I'm leaving and I'm overwhelmed because everyone treated me with so much grace and hospitality. Kind of like the Generation Church team. Y'all are so hospitable. You are so good. But they loved me so well. And again, I wasn't saved that day, but it did something in my heart. I started to look at the people of God different. And then there was a Sunday night evangelist coming through town. I'd been to church for a couple months. I'd heard a lot of sermons. I hadn't done anything with it. And this little old man in his 80s stood about four foot seven. I mean, this dude was small, and, and he, he was doing this Sunday night service. And I'd already been to church Sunday morning, but something in my heart was like, I need to go tonight. That's like for the really churchy folk, okay? You can go to church twice in a day. Come on. And, and so I went, and I didn't know why. And I'm sitting through this sermon, and nothing is happening that's just supernatural. This dude isn't, like, giving zingers and one-liners. Oh, i got to write that down. i got to Instagram that. Right? I, none of that was happening. But at the end of his service, he looked into the balcony where I was sitting. And I was sitting about as far away from the stage as you could. And he says, there is somebody here tonight. You have been running from God. In fact, you've been running from God your whole life. And tonight, the Spirit of God is going to arrest you and stop you and change you. And if that's you, and he didn't even get to the part where he was going to ask for people to respond. Something happened in my butt. I was like, pop! And I came out the chair. I'd never done this before in my life. And I took off running. People thought I was probably possessed. Like, oh, get the elders. That dude... I got up and I ran down the stairs to the balcony at 20 years old. And I didn't care what one person in the whole building thought. 
And I, I busted through those sanctuary doors and I ran to the front and he hadn't even really given a response time yet. And I started to weep and sob before the Lord because I interacted and had met the resurrected Jesus for the very first time. And I remember sitting there and I was praying and I was like, God, would you take my sin? I understood for the first time what repentance was. I came into full realization of who I was, that I was dead in my sin. And I offered this to God and said, God, I have nothing to give you but my sin and my shame and my hurt and my regret and my fear and my insecurity and my questions and my doubts. God, I have nothing to offer you. And God, would you take this addiction from me? It's controlled my life for years. And I'm so proud to say that I'm coming up on 18 years of being completely sober. In a moment, God miraculously changed my heart, like literally from the inside out. I was completely healed. And after that, God started to change my heart towards some people that had really hurt me. You see, my mom just had this, my birth mom, there was this vacant hole in my heart towards her. I, I truly had hate in my heart for her before I came to Christ. And, and, and shortly after, I felt this softening in my heart, and I was like, I need to reach out to my mom, and I need to tell her that I forgive her for what she did. And, and so I, I reach out, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get this loving mother that, man, i just been waiting my whole life for you to, to, to reach out to me. And instead, what I got was a hateful mom who said, I wish I would have had the abortion I planned. And mom, I love Jesus and I, wanna, I, I want us to be okay. I wish I would have never had you. And so this week, don't tell me that this week wasn't important and this week didn't matter because this week for someone like me, it means a lot. And so I had met with the resurrected Jesus and so that takes us to chapter three, AD, after death. After death to yourself. What do you do next? Acts chapter 22, verse 14. It says, then he said, this is Ananias to Saul, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. It's God's will that Jesus would meet with you. You will be his witness. Now why? Why did Jesus save him? Here's the answer, verse 15. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Why did Jesus save him? Yeah, so that Saul could be saved, but so that all the people who don't know Jesus could now hear about him. That's the plan. It's not to just zap you to heaven after salvation. It's to make Jesus known into all the worlds. Verse 16, and what are you waiting for? <laughs> you see this urgency in the kingdom? I love it. Because it helps someone like me that can't rest or stop or do anything. It helps me feel empowered when I read it. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, guess what? They should happen simultaneously. We get saved, and now because we are saved, we are now sent. We are saved. We, I can make all kinds of S's out of this. We're saved. We're sanctified. We're sent. That's the plan of God. It's not that you would stay in salvation and do nothing. It's that you would be saved and take that radical gospel to the world. That is the plan of God. And so we see that with Saul. What are you waiting for? Verse 17, when I return to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. 
This is Saul speaking, Paul. And saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said. Nothing about this is slow. Everything are just keywords for let's go. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. I love that God went before him. God saw what was coming. God's done that for you. When you get the, the spirit of God and it starts to move your heart and you're like, I don't know why I feel led to do this. Guess what? God goes before you like a shepherd goes before the sheep and he prepares in advance the things that he has planned for us. So God was sending him somewhere that he didn't really want to go, but because God saw ahead of him. Verse 19, Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing me. It sounds like Saul is concerned that his past is going to catch up with him. Yeah, but God, they're not going to believe it. My family won't believe it. My wife won't believe it. My kids won't believe it. My church won't believe it. Saul is concerned, and maybe he truly believes that God is going to look to your past to determine what he'll do for your future, and that's not the God we serve. He doesn't look to your past and be like, all right, well, they weren't that bad, so I guess I can use them. No. He said they were dead. They're now alive, and the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, it now lives in them, so guess what? Anything is possible with a surrendered heart to God's through his power and his might. And in verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul was radically saved and immediately sent. And it's amazing that he wasn't sent to the Jews. There were other people. Peter, there were other people that God used to reach the Jews. Paul reached the Gentiles. The Gentiles were those that the Jews grew up hating. So you mean to tell me that Saul gets saved, and then he gets sent to be a witness to the people he grew up despising and believing that they were not in God's will and not in God's plan. God could save the Jew, but not the Gentile. And so over the course of Saul's life, A.D., after death to himself, it was full of a ton of hardship. When you read the New Testament, 66% of it is written by Paul, and you hear a ton of the hardships and struggle that he endured, but you also hear about the incredible miracles and the amazing testimonies of salvation that took place in his life. His life counted. His life mattered after death to himself. And so, I get saved radically in Orlando, but I don't know what to do next. And maybe that's you. Man, I'm saved, I believe, but I don't know what to do. And so this is just what I did. And I'm not telling you what you should do. This is what I did. I got saved and I realized in a moment I lost all of my friends because all of my friends were like drug dealers. And in a moment I'm like, I have nobody. So literally almost every day I would walk up to the church and I would bombard their day. Now I know the day of a pastor is not just like sitting around all day, just like praying for people like you're doing stuff. And I'd interrupt their day all the time and I'd say, hey, is there anything I can do today? Like, can I cut some bulletins? Can I clean a bathroom? Can I set something up? What can I do to help you? Because if I get back around them, I'm gonna go back to who I used to be. And so just give me something to do. And I'd annoy the heck out of them all the time. I'd show up. And I use this as a sense of community. 
And one day I remember I was in a parking lot after a church service and this pastor comes up to me and he saw something that I didn't see in myself and he said, hey, I want to invite you into this program. I'd never heard of it. It's called Master's Commission. And maybe you're familiar with it, but essentially it's a intense discipleship program. It's like the military for Christians. Like you, you want to become a pastor. It was a great program to go into because you devoted a full year and then you did that two more times to ministering all over the country. And so he's like, I feel like God's leading me to invite you into this program. I'm like, dude, I don't want to be in ministry. I don't even know what that means. But I, I need like rehab. And so if I can come in for that reason, like just get me around some people that love Jesus, I'll do it. He's like, all right, well, it's 5,000 bucks and it's due soon. And I was like, oh, come on. Dude, are you kidding me? Look at me. <laughs> do I look like I have $5,000? I didn't have the money, but I did know how to do something. I learned a special skill and a trait when I was homeless, and that's called panhandling. And so I would go out to the literally the biggest intersections in Orlando with my bucket that said, help me go to Bible school. I didn't even know what I wrote on it, and I'd hold it up. And guess what? Through the power of God, I raised every cent so I could go to master's commission. And again, this was rehab for me. This was not ministry training. I had no plans of ministry. And, and I completed that first year, and at the end of the first year, my director came up to me and said, hey, I've never invited a first-year student on this next trip that we're taking to India. This is always for third-year students, but I just really feel like God's leading me to invite you. But you got to raise 3,500 bucks, and you got to do it in a little bit. And I said, yo, find my bucket. Where is my bucket? I know it's around here somewhere. And guess what? I went right back to the same intersections. And I'd stay out there until the cop showed up, and I'd say, yo, see you tomorrow. <laughs> And by the power of God and some hard work, I raised 3,500 bucks in a small amount of time, and that got me to India. Now, here's why this is so important. Because while I was in India, my life forever changed. And this is AD. This is after death to myself. This is after salvation. One day we're doing VBS for a bunch of kids. We're in this three-story school building. It's hot. It's the middle of summer in India. They have no windows, no AC, and we're in this top floor. And that day, lucky for me, I got picked to be the Tony the Tiger. I had a full tiger outfit. There's this little fan that's in the nose, and it's supposed to be blowing air on me. Well, the fan shorts out. And so I go up to my, I'm like, my knees are turning into spaghetti. Like, like I'm losing circulation in my body. And I go up to my, my director, and I say, yo, dude, I need to take this helmet off. He's like, don't you take that helmet off. These kids will be scarred for life. And I said, how about a dead body laying in front of them? Like, what's better here? And he said, fine, fine, fine. And he opens this door and he says, run up to the rooftop, take your helmet off, get some air and come back down. We got to finish out this next song. And I'm like, all right. And I run up to this rooftop and this is where my life forever changed. You see what started out as a fan motor breaking led me to a rooftop. And at the very moment I was showing up on this three-story building at an incredible vantage of, of the city, I started to hear these horns just all over the place. And I was, what's going on? And I start to look down and I see all over the place. I'm not kidding, literally hundreds of people in every direction started to roll out mats, look to the sun, kneel down. And in a moment, God shattered my heart because I knew the God they were praying to could not save them. And in that moment, my heart erupted for the lost. And, and by the Spirit of God, I went to my director and said, I, I don't know what just happened up there, but I really feel like God is calling me to give my life to this. 
And I don't know what this means. I don't know what it's going to change. But God, like, I know you called me to the lost. And so for the next three years, they discipled me. They trained me. I got a college degree. It was an amazing moment. But it started with a surrendered moment. God, you can use me. I don't care what you change. I don't care what you do. And by the grace of God, this year, in a couple months, I will celebrate 15 years in ministry. You see, God had a story to tell. And it was a story of redemption through Jesus. And because God had a story to tell of redemption, then I have a story to tell the world of God's redemption. You have a story to tell. If you are in Christ, one of the greatest evangelistic tools outside of the gospel itself is your life being lived in front of people and what you say and what you do. You have a story to tell and it could change the people around you. I want to give you this as a takeaway as we close. I believe that each person in this room, you'd be better if you were to go home tonight over the next couple days and you were to start to write out your testimony. Once you write it, you're going to start to be reminded, God, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe. I remember who I used to be and who I am today. It's going to build faith inside of you. Here's some questions. Who am I now in Christ? Who am I now? How is this in contrast to who I was before? You're going to remember who you used to be and who you are today. How has God changed me? How is he glorified in me? What fruit is displayed in my life? How is the work of the gospel evidenced in my life? And as you start to answer these questions, you're going to start to write out your testimony. And my encouragement, but also my challenge, is that you wouldn't waste a full calendar week without sharing your story with somebody. You have a story to tell because of what God has done. And so today, I want to pray for you. There's two groups of people in the room. Number one, you've, you're saved. You know Jesus as your savior, but you're stuck. You, you, you don't know how to take a next step. And I think one of the first steps and most important steps is starting to vocalize and share your faith with people who don't know Christ. Don't wait for the preacher to do it. Don't wait for someone to randomly be turning through the radio and, and find their way to a Christian radio station. What if you were the person that God was sending? You have a story to tell. So I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you say, I know Jesus, but I need some boldness. I need some courage. I need the spirit of God to reveal to me how to share my faith. If that's you, every eye closed, every eye closed, just me and you. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. You're here. Praise God. Praise God. Lots of hands. I want to pray over you right now. I want you to receive this. Jesus, right now, would you give supernatural boldness? God, would you give supernatural courage? God, would your spirit guide and lead each person that's raising their hand and acknowledging, God, I know you as Savior, but there's a dying, lost, and broken world all around me. And God, would you use me? Would you send me? God, would you use the gifts that are already inside of me? God, but would you use them for your glory so that a world that is lost and destined for hell would be made alive in Christ. God, use me today. Amen. I pray that each person here this week, you would see fruit from what you prayed. Last prayer. If you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't know him. I'm still in that BC. And right now I'm, I'm being confronted by my sin. That's not God's shame. That's God's love. 
That he would call you into repentance. If you're here today and you say, I came in here as an orphan and I want to leave as a son or daughter. I want to leave here knowing that I have been forgiven and given the gift of eternal life. If that's you, with every eye closed, I'm the only one looking. Would you raise your hand? You're here today. I need to be saved. I need to be transformed. I need to be bought by the blood of Jesus. I need my sin washed away. I'm here today and I want to be a child of God. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray for the hands that just went up and we're going to celebrate new life in Christ. If you just raise your hand, you can agree with me and pray this in your heart. Jesus, I need you to be my savior. My sin is too great and I cannot save myself. I don't need another teacher. I need a savior. And so God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I missed the mark. And I wanna be transformed and changed by your blood that was spilled for the remission of sin. God, would you save me now? Would you change me and transform me and use me in my life after today? And I pray this in the beautiful, matchless, powerful name of Jesus. All of God's people celebrated new life in Christ. People coming into the family of God. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we close and worship?